Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to go back and begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 11. Last week I said we started this, we talked a little bit about assurance, the assurance that comes with our salvation. And I want to carry on. I'll tell you why in just a moment, why I want to carry that thought and look at that a little more. But the scripture says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which He has given us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, that he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me stop right there. Because last week we talked about the assurance, and we talked about from verse 10, the assurance that comes by making our salvation sure, by knowing and having that assurance. And I've got to tell a little story about when I was in seminary. Brother Dr. Dwight Patterson, I should say. Dr. Dwight Patterson, who was my pastor, one of our seminary instructors, really a a father of the faith. He wouldn't go by doctor, even though he's a well-educated, extremely well-educated man, but he was always Brother Patterson. Well, this was uh, 40 years ago. And I remember so well sitting in that New Testament class, and he told me, Brother Paul, you've got to write a paper on verse 4. 
by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And he said, I want you to write on that. Well, I thought, Brother Patterson, you, you don't understand. I'm taking a full load. I'm working. We're married. We had a little baby at home. And I was the only one that had that assignment. He didn't give that to anybody else. He said, Brother Paul, I want you to do this. And I think I was a little incensed. I was a little, hey, what, how come just me? Nobody else has to do this. Why, why am I? And I went home and I looked in the commentaries and I reworded what they said and wrote out, you know, a couple pages. And you know, to this day that has bothered me. Now you might say, that bothers you? <laughs> With all of your history, that bothers you? <laughs> well, this passage has a special meaning to me. This passage has a special meaning. And I want to share, and I want us to get into this, into the Word of God, because I believe that God wants you to have full assurance. If you are His child, He wants you to enjoy that full assurance. You know, it says so in, in Hebrews 6, 11, 10, 22. He wants us to have that full assurance. 1 John 3, 19, that your hearts are assured. He wants us, according to Colossians 2 and 2, to have full riches of assurance. And every true Christian should really enjoy his or her salvation. God has given us the gift of salvation and He has given it so that you would enjoy it. Not to have an assurance means that we live in doubt. Means that we're in fear. To live in that form of spiritual depression if you don't have that assurance. And, and that's a kind of misery that God just does not want His people to live in. And certainly, not to have assurance means that you're unable really to delight in the Lord. And that is part of the Christian inheritance. That's part of what He wants. He wants you to share in who He is. And if you're unable to enjoy the anticipation of all of His promises the exceedingly abundant, precious promises that he talks of, you see, you're missing out. You're missing out on the reality of faith, the exhilaration of hope. You have the promise of eternal life, the promise of an abundant life. That presupposes assurance. If I'm going to enjoy all that's mine in Christ, if I'm going to enjoy my position in Christ and who I am, I have to know that I am in Christ. And that's critical. You must know that you are in Christ. And otherwise, you'll live in fear, you'll live in misery, you'll live in doubt. And Peter here is very concerned that his readers enjoy assurance. And that's really kind of the main theme of this brief epistle. And you'll see that in this short book, three chapters, there's also the theme of false teachers. Chapter 2 deals with the false prophets, the false teachers that come in. They are described in very clear, graphic terms. Peter wants you to know, this is what false teachers will do. This is what false prophets will do. Now chapter 2 that deals with that is surrounded by other teachings that directly affect the theme of assurance because he's doing that so that you can counter the attacks of those that will bring in the false 
ideas, the false teachings. So in other words, chapter 1, chapter 3 are really related to the theme of assurance. And chapter 2 is how do you deal with these false prophets? How do you deal with false teachers? And so to fight off this deluding, this encroaching deception that the false teachers will bring, the believer has to know some things. They have to have assurance in some things. The believer has to know, have a true and an accurate knowledge of the Word of God. The question comes, what must we know? What is it that's important? Well, that's why here in chapter 1, in verses 3 through 11, we must know our salvation. You've got to know that you are a child of God. You must know that you've been born again. And then in, from chapter 1, verse 12 through 21, you've got to know the Scripture. It's important that you know the Word of God. Then in chapter 3, you've got to know that you're sanctified. You've got to know your sanctification. So in other words, we know that we're saved. We know from the Word of God. And then we know that we have been set aside and some God is working in us. He's doing something. That's our sanctification. So if you know the Scripture, if you know you're sanctified, set apart unto God from sin, and if you know that salvation is real, what happens when the attacks of the false teacher come? You see? That's why Peter has laid this out. And if you don't know the Scripture, then you don't know if you're really experiencing a growth in your sanctification, a growth that's steady growing as you're growing closer and closer to the Lord. And if you're not sure of your salvation, you will be a victim of false teaching. If you're not sure, you're a ready victim. And so now, we're looking at this section on salvation, knowing your salvation. That's essential in the defense against false teachers. So if you have... The helmet of salvation, we talked about that just briefly last week. If you have the helmet of the, the hope of salvation, that's on. Then the blows of Satan that come against you, that cause you to doubt your salvation, that cause you to doubt the works of God, you see, that protects you. That will help you. And so you are protected from false teachers, these demon spirits, Satan himself. So the first line of defense is to know your salvation. In verse 1, isn't that what Peter says? Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there he set it up. There he said, you know, you know where you are. You know that you've been established there. Hi. Let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you, and back to our podcast. And then in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So now he's saying, so you know what your position is. 
Now you know there's grace and peace to your life. Because false teachers always try to tell you that there is another way of salvation. There's an, some other thing. There's something that you're missing. And so in verse 2 he said that you must know the substance of your salvation. And that's really predicated on the grace and the peace of God. It's really set upon that. And it's multiplied in the knowledge. So the more you know of the Lord, the more you know of our Lord Jesus Christ, the set, the more stable you can stand. But look at verse 3 and 4. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You must know the sufficiency of your salvation. You've got to know everything pertaining to life and godliness. You've got to understand, and that's why he takes us on into verse 5 through 11. You've got to know the certainty of your salvation. You must be sure, that's crucial, if you're going to withstand the onslaught of false teachers. Why? Just as I said, false teachers are going to try to show you another way of salvation. But if I know where I stand in my salvation, there's no question. There's no attraction by the false teachers. I'm not going to be swayed. I'm not going to go this way or that way. So we have in verse 3 and 4 that everything that we need is in Christ. Did you see that? His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need, it's all right there. And so then Peter says that we have to do everything that we possibly can to add. Wait a minute. If everything that I have is right there, I don't get it. Why do I have to add something? Because it's all right here. He says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So now, if I have everything I need and it's in Christ, why can't I just sit back and say, I got it made. Let God. Let go and let God. He's going to do it all, right? How can then I add something? Because look at verse 5. But also, for this very reason. What reason? The reason because He has already given you in Christ. Because of what He's already done. That He's given you all life and everything that you need that pertained to godliness through the knowledge of Him. And He's given you great and precious promises. But for this reason, giving all diligence... Some say add all diligence. That, that's the idea of giving all diligence. You're adding to that. Because we have everything we need in Christ, because of His divine power, He's granted us everything that there could be. Because you have His divine power working in your life, working in your heart, He grants you every necessity of life and godliness. But now, because you've become partakers of the divine nature, you've escaped the corruption that was in this world through lust, through sin. He says, now do this. Now I believe salvation is totally by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And false teachers are successfully going to prey on those who doubt their salvation. 
False teachers always have a way of making them miserable, sinful, doubtful, weak, fainting, fainting in their worship, fainting in their prayers, making their life joyless, impotent in their service, confused about what they believe. But to those who are confident in their salvation, confident in the riches of Christ, confident in the precious promises of the glory and the virtue that's been placed in you through Christ Jesus, those false teachers have no way of attacking. So then, because you know and have a true knowledge of our Savior, the false teachers have nothing to offer. They have nothing to give you. So for this very reason, because we have everything in Christ, let's add to it. That's what he's saying. In order that you might enjoy the full assurance, in order that you might enjoy that assurance and that benefit for that very reason. Apply all diligence. That's the idea of that. For this very reason, now you add all diligence. You apply all diligence. Now that gets us into the text where I wanted to get this morning. That just gets us uh, kind of through the introduction. And what I'd like to do is take this concept of assurance and really break it down into four sections. And these are in your notes. We'll kind of work through these sections one at a time. It's the effort prescribed, the virtues that are to be pursued, the options that are presented, and the benefits that are promised. That's what Peter lays out. So let's start with the effort that's prescribed. We've just read it. We've just read the efforts that have been described. And I need to say kind of in a footnote that you would think that verse 3 and 4 would just say, just live in faith and don't do anything. Let God have His complete way. You see, there are those that have this idea that God has called you, He saved you, and now you don't do anything. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Well, that's true. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's all done on Christ. It was all on Him. But now I can just live any way that I want. And life is fine. But it's really just the opposite. Because there is effort prescribed here. Because of God's saving work in us. Because it is completely sufficient. It's like Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation in fear and tremble. Not to get your salvation, but you work it out. And God put it in, now you work it out. That's why he says, giving all diligence in your faith. And then the next word is the idea of add to your faith. Supply your faith. That's interesting. It's an interesting statement. Let's look at it a little different. Because applying all diligence in your faith. What does the word applying mean? How is it that we apply our faith? Well, just that. Making a maximum effort. Making the maximum effort. The idea is bringing along every effort in what God has already done. God has done all of this and you bring along every side. And that's the word of giving or applying. All diligence. That's the Greek word sprout. It means eagerness. Hastiness. It's used of someone who's in a hurry. Have you ever been in a hurry and you're ready to go this way and that way and you're getting all kinds of things done? This is a really strong word. It means zeal. And he's saying that bring this along to what God has done, what God's placed in your life. you got to get busy. you got to be doing something. You ought to be hasty. It's pretty direct. 
He's saying, be very zealous, be eager, put haste, a hurried effort. And here he means add, means the word supply. I said that, I want you to remember it. The word means to supply. What does that really mean? It means to give lavishly. means to give generously. It's an interesting word because it's kind of a different word in the Greek. It's the word that's also used of a choir master. word that's used of a choir master... And you've got to remember in the old Greek city-states, the choir master brought everything in that was necessary. He applied all that was needed. He brought all of that in. And simply the choir master had the responsibility of supplying everyone in the choir what he needed. And that's the idea. So the word came to mean supplier. The choir master was synonymous with one who supplied, someone who added. In the Greek city-states, with some of the religious festivals, they would have plays. And part of the Greek play with Sophocles and Euripides and some of those, those works of literature, the art that we still hold today, they are beautiful possessions of Greek literature. All of these needed large choruses. They needed a chorus and that was an integral part to the play. It was expensive. It was expensive to put on that kind of a play. And therefore, in great days like days in Athens, there were public-spirited citizens that would support that. That they, were, they would come in and they thought that they willingly took it on as their duty, their own expense, collecting, maintaining, training, and equipping the chorus. Do you see where I'm going? It was at those religious festivals that these things were produced, so they put their all into it. There were many different tragedies and comedies and uh, diatribes and all those different things. And men had to be found to equip and train those choruses and all of those. It would cost a great amount of money. But these men that undertook these duties voluntarily, out of their own pocket, out of their own love for their city, they were called choreogor. We get our word chorus. Choreographer, that's the word there. And the word choregen is the verb for undertaking a duty to supply the chorus. So the word therefore means certainly the lavish, the lavishness that goes in with it. They've taken the word that was used of the classic Greek and Peter has used it here and used it in the word to supply, to add, to choreograph. You see, so now God has brought all of these things into your life, the exceeding, precious, abundant promises, and now He's asked you to be the chorus master. He's asked you to bring all of these things, everything that you have, all of your strength and your zeal, all that you have. You see why, why I kind of belabored that? So you get the idea, that kind of word picture, that Peter was telling the people here, put all of this effort into it. It never means to equip in a spirit sparing way or a miserly way. It means lavishly willing to pour out everything that's necessary for a noble performance. The word that we find here is epicorrigan and it went out into a whole larger world and it meant to equip the chorus with every single thing that they needed. Every instrument, every musical note, every written page of music, whatever it might have been. And so it was that the Holy Spirit used that word, inspired it. That's the word the Lord chose to place here. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.